3: Welcome to The Word to Stand On for Life. This is the Monday edition. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado. And this week I have the great privilege of filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron, who is on vacation. Both he and Paula send their love. They just arrived at their destination. We, We confirmed that through a quick phone call. And they are en route to their favorite eating spot they ready to enjoy their favorite sea bass dinner. So they send their love to the radio listening audience. They're doing well, um, ready and excited to hear from the Lord on their vacation. They ask you, radio listening audience, to keep them in your prayers. And this is the prayer request that, that Pastor Ron would hear clearly from the Lord. There are a lot of things going on here at the church, a lot of families that are hurting uh, some things that uh, deal with the, the direction and the vision of the church. Uh, the Lord is doing a lot of things, and, and we don't want to miss out. At the same time, uh, we would covet your prayers and Pastor on again, sends his love. So for this week, uh, I get to fill in, as usual. So it's Monday. Quick programming note. Tonight, we usually have our men's and women's and youth Bible studies. We will not have those studies tonight because Pastor Ron and and Paula are on their break. And so while they're gone, we're going to take a break on our Monday night studies. That means that the sweet summer devotions that the women are having are going to take a break. So no studies tonight for men, women, and youth. And since it's Sunday, I want to quickly say I hope you had a great time at church. I hope the Lord spoke to your heart. And I pray that at your church, people got saved or or Christians who are already believers had repented and got their hearts right with the Lord. We know that was the case here. Um, some got saved and lots of people got their hearts right. We were Uh, talking about, Pastor Ron was teaching about the rich young ruler, and uh, so practical a study. And one of the things that I personally took away from that study, and I think a lot of people did too, was that he walked away sad because his possessions possessed him. This is something that in our culture we really struggle with. Everything is so materially focused. This man, this rich, young ruler, looks like he had everything made, but knew there was still something missing. And because he made the decision not to fill that emptiness with Jesus, but instead hang on to the things or let those things hang on to him, he walked away sad. I don't want any of you to walk away sad from Jesus. When you go to Jesus, your heart should be filled with joy you should walk away, walk away with him, with his joy. That's one of the things I took away from the rich young ruler in our study yesterday. So again, I hope you were blessed at your church and the Lord spoke to your heart. Now, I want to take a moment here to just share my heart. My wife and I, May, and, and our family— just returned from our family vacation. So we have staggered our vacations so that uh, me and my family go first. And uh, then I return and then Pastor Ron and I are like passing ships, we sort of hug and kiss each other. And then he's out and I'm in. I got to see him yesterday for a little bit. And then after third service, he was gone. <laughs> Bye-bye. But for me and my family, uh, one thing that the Lord put on my heart from our vacation, I really wanted to share with the audience today and, and maybe throughout this week, but the Lord had put it on my heart for this particular vacation to organize a sort of a family meeting. Now, not our family. We go to the West Coast to see my family that I grew up with. And We usually split our time in the Bay Area where my wife is from and then back down to San Diego where where my family is. And, And two things that I really wanted to share with you. First, in our visit to the Bay Area, one of our dear cousins, Mabel's dear cousins, had given her life to the Lord. And this was something that it was so obvious that the Lord had been preparing her heart before we even got there, she said, uh, in coming to see us, that she felt like there was a tug from God to come and speak to us. And I know her really well and, and someone I've been praying for for a long time. But it was like the Lord had already prepared her heart and she gave her life to the Lord. What a, that right there was the, the, the top of my trip. Because she realized how much Jesus loved her. She realized that it wasn't through religion that your sin is forgiven. And you could see the weight coming off of her shoulders. So, Christine, I don't think you're listening. But if you are, God bless you. We are so thrilled to welcome you into the family of God. You made my trip. Second part. I had mentioned that uh, the Lord put it on my heart to, to call together some type of family meeting a whole bunch of relatives there in, in San Diego and Southern California. And on this particular trip, something that the Lord made clear was to prepare or organize some type of time of worship and, and, and a Bible study with my family. Now you have to understand, I grew up in a very strict Catholic household. Every single one of my family members were not just Catholic by name, but Catholic in culture and in practice and in daily life. And the Lord made it clear, call together all your family members, all the cousins you haven't seen for maybe 10 plus years and tell them that you have something to share with them. And that's exactly what happened. And the Lord prepared their hearts through this time of coming together, seeing the cousins and cousins' children and reintroducing myself because I forgot their names, it's been so long, I was able to share from John chapter 3 how Nicodemus gave his heart to Jesus Christ, that it isn't religion that saves you, but every single person must be born again. That simply comes by believing that you are a sinner, that Jesus died for sinners, and he died for you. And by putting your faith in him, you will be born again. You could see the Holy Spirit moving in hearts in that room. One neat thing was we, we got to share because our kids love to do worship. They did a few worship songs, and God used that to really melt their hearts. All that to say this, you have family members that aren't saved and none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Redeem the time. Jesus is coming soon. This we know. And you have to love them enough to be willing to risk the relationship. And God will honor that. The, the backdrop sort of to this uh, meeting with my cousins was this. Their mom, my aunt, recently passed away. And this is somebody I grew up with. They were very close to their mom and a lot of them were taking it very hard. But I had a chance to speak to my aunt on her deathbed and she gave her life to Jesus Christ a a couple of months ago. And I wanted to share with them, these people who were still hurting, my cousins, that this hope in Jesus Christ guarantees that their mom is in heaven and i want the same thing for them i wanted to share that with you guys so let's get on with the show let me give you the numbers 2103409585 2103409585 the toll free number is 877 We've got an email address to submit your questions. That's questions at calvarysa.com. You can submit questions through our church mobile app. You can call in through the KSLR app. If you're in your car, it's much easier. Just press the call now button up on top. And you'll go right into our radio station, and you'll be on the air. In the meantime, let's go ahead with some questions. The first one is from Reuben. This is actually a long question. I think it has three parts, so I'll just quickly read through it. How can someone that had a genuine relationship with Christ but fell into sin and has now become callous, to negative things in his life, get back to that close relationship with Jesus he once had? Is it even possible when someone who has grown numb to negative things and and even discipline, I guess he meant to grow numb to discipline, in his life, most people cry out to Christ and grow closer when a tragedy happens or they find themselves in trouble. What about a person who just accepts it and never cries out. Uh, Reuben, this question or the series of questions really breaks my heart because this sounds like someone who knows the truth, but their heart has been hardened towards the truth. Their heart has been hardened towards Jesus. Everything described in these three questions describes a heart that is no longer responsive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's a hard heart. I believe it's the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Hebrews, but in the third chapter, the third chapter of that letter, twice, he says, today, while you can still hear his voice, harden not your heart. And the reason why is because Every time you say no to Jesus, it gets easier to say no to him every sequential time. Every time you choose to operate in the flesh instead of operate in the spirit, it becomes easier to say no. Now, what you describe to me sounds like someone who may not truly be born again. Now, I don't know. I don't know who this person is, and I don't know their hearts, but every description I've read, I've grown numb and no longer responsive and become callous, all these things, that describes someone who intellectually knows, they have an intellectual assent to the truth of God's Word, and maybe at some time in their life, lived according to it. But now this describes a lifestyle of someone who has hardened their heart towards Jesus. And if that's the case, then there is no forgiveness of sin. Here's the best part. Here's the good part, Reuben. For people who have hardened hearts like this, all they need to do is repent. It doesn't matter how far you strayed. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how hard your heart is. You said in, in the first part of your question that the, this person had a genuine relationship with Christ. And if I'm going to take that as somebody who is truly born again, and it says that they fell into sin has now and has now become callous, well, that hard heart needs to repent how? You just admit that God is right and you're wrong. It's as simple as that. Repentance is turning from sin and turning towards Jesus. Now if your repentance is dependent upon circumstances then that's not true repentance. And what I mean by that is this. If 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 this is somebody that's married, and they both have hardened their hearts toward the Lord, and one spouse says, I'm going to repent, and I'm going to turn to Jesus, and they start walking with Jesus, but then they turn to the side and look at the other spouse and see that they're, they're not repenting, and then they quit and say, forget it. If you're not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. Well, that's not true repentance. True repentance means that you own your sin. You recognize that it's nobody else's fault but yours. And by owning that sin, you turn your eyes, eyeballs off of yourself, and you turn them back onto Jesus. You fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the finisher, the author of your faith. Your salvation doesn't depend on anything else. This is the only way. Now, the Holy Spirit is constantly speaking, constantly speaking to our hearts. We just don't listen. And Reuben, if this person, if this is you or if this is somebody you know, all they need to do is repent. It's as simple as that. That means, though, your flesh has got to die. Your opinions don't matter. Your feelings don't matter. It's the truth of God's Word, and He promises that if you truly repent, if you confess your sin, that He, God, is faithful to cleanse you from all righteousness. So, Reuben, I hope that helps. Thank you for your question. Let's go right to our phone lines. Alan, you're on line one. Thank you for calling.
2: Hi, this is Alan. Hi. Um, remember me?
3: Hi, Alan. Of course I remember you. I recognize your voice. Hi,
2: Alan. How are you? Hi, I just wanted to say hello. I saw you are online there, and I wanted to say God bless you. Hello. And I've just been homebound. Uh, I've been too weak. It's been too hot. I'm, I got some blockage in the left side my artery, so I've been too weak to go
3: out in the heat. And uh Oh, no. I, so, I didn't uh, know that, Alan. Uh, I'm glad you called, because I noticed you weren't here at church yesterday, and I've been thinking about you. Well, I really appreciate uh, the update, and it, we will definitely keep you in our prayers, Alan, especially for that blockage. Could you do me a favor, Alan? Uh, uh, please... Uh, call the church or call me. Keep us updated because uh, I, I, you're somebody that we've been praying for for years, and you and I have talked before. I know who you are. Uh, the Lord has really shown off in a lot of things through all the, the physical difficulties you've had, and this is just going to be another one where the Lord's going to show off, and that's exactly what we're going to pray for, my friend.
2: God God bless you. All right. I'm and, s- and, and- scheduled for a stent. It's next Wednesday. And I'm scheduled for a stent in placement, and I hope that'll fix it up. Okay. But uh, my left arm's been really weak, so it's kind of like uh, oh. I just to, um, the, the heat's too much for me to go out in, and uh, uh, just uh, just taking it a day at a time. But uh, Jesus is Lord, and, uh, uh, you know, it's it's uh, great to have Jesus as my Savior.
3: Absolutely. Two quick things, Alan. Uh, number one, uh, Tom asked me to give you a message. He, he's he been trying to contact you, so when you get a chance, because uh, he, yep. he asked about you, and I think he tried to contact you, maybe stay in touch with him, too, because he's been praying for you. And the second thing is, Alan, I want to quickly pray for you before we get off the phone, okay? Thanks. Father, this is my friend. I, I'm praying for you to touch and heal his body. Alan is someone who is near and dear to our church family, Uh, the fact that he moved just to be closer to the church body just shows his heart. And now that he's going through the arterial blockage and some of the other things going on his body, Lord, please touch and heal Alan, that he would use his newfound strength to serve you with all of his heart because that's what he wants to do. Lord. Amen. Alan, I love you, my friend. (laughs) Hope to see you soon.
2: Love Jesus and you.
3: Oh, um, calls like that I, I, I love it because uh, you know God has given us a heart for His own people, and when people are hurting, uh, we hurt with them. Ah, oh, thanks, Alan. Okay, let's go on to the next question. I've uh, got a question here from Arlene. Arlene says, "My community church." down the street from my house doesn't teach the Bible verse by verse. But I'm starting to make real connections and my family seems to be uh, too. Should I continue to search for another church or plant my roots there? Arlene, this is... uh, So there's two parts to this and I don't want to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but, but... This this is the important thing, right? Uh, You need to be in a Bible-teaching church, and it sounds like you are. Now, personally, here at Calvary Chapel, we think the best method isn't our method, but it's just a verse-by-verse, expository teaching of God's Word, where you're systematically going through the Bible. That's the only way it's going to make sense, because you're studying it in its context. And it sounds like, Arlene, this is something that you're starting to or that you have been looking for, and it's not available at your church. And so what I would do is talk to your pastor. Talk to your pastor and and find out uh, maybe why they don't teach the Bible verse by verse. And You're not going to change the church, and you're not going to change the pastors, but Maybe there is another service or there's another Bible study at your church that has uh, a verse-by-verse expository teaching. And the reason why I say that to ask them is because it sounds like your family has already planted roots there. Uh, And and that's a good thing. But I would also say this, and this is the part where I say on on the other side of my mouth, I it's a good thing for your family to be connected at church but there's no value in being connected to a church where you're not growing, you're not being spiritually fed. And and your 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 walk with the Lord is the most important thing that your family is in a place that is is conducive to your spiritual growth. And and if you're not hearing from the Lord there in in your church uh, even with those connections, then you you really need to prayerfully consider if that's where the Lord wants you to be. Again, because what the the sole purpose of the church is to teach the Bible. All the other things that that make it fun and that make the connections real and that's great. But those connections and all the the, the family fun things have no value if they're not being taught the Word of God if they're not being fed, and again. I believe personally that that only comes through a verse-by-verse teaching format. So, prayerfully consider uh, where the Lord wants you to be. Now, if the Lord tells you to stay there, then then you make that your church home. Uh, again, you're not going to go in and, and make wholesale changes to the way the church does things. But I believe personally that a verse-by-verse teaching is important and should the lord tell you to to go elsewhere well then this is something you and your husband need to be in prayer about now your husband is the spiritual leader of the family and and if this is something that you and he are both in agreement with that that you want a church that is teaching verse by verse instead of topical well then in your area, start finding a church that does that. And that's personally what I would suggest. Again, seek the Lord, prayerfully consider you and your husband need to be in one accord with this. The The kids will be fine wherever you go, but it's you and your husband that need to be in accord with this. And if your husband is not, well, then explain to him maybe why why a verse-by-verse teaching is that important, but it's nothing to argue about. It's nothing to, to be um, rebellious about for sure. Just prayerfully seek the Lord and, and do what He says. Uh, I'll be praying for you, Arlene. Um, if you have any questions about how, where to find a church in your area, just call our church office and we can help you out there. Well, you can hear the music The first half of the Monday edition of The Word to Stand on for Life is coming to an end. That means we've got a two minute break. Then, after that, we've got the second half. My name is Pastor Ken, and I'll be back right after the break.
1: Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
3: Welcome back to the Monday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and if you're just tuning in, I am doing the show this week for my pastor, Pastor Ron, who is on vacation Both he and Paula have arrived at their destination, and they are already having fun. They send their love. Uh, They will be back in here in July, I think, 5th, back on the show. So, in the meantime, the show continues as normal. I'm here to take your Bible questions, questions about uh, Christian life, Christian living, church life, how we can put the Word of God into practice in your own life. And if you have questions about that, that's what we're here for. The goal is this, for us to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus. Okay, so that means I need to give you the numbers to call in so that you can call with your questions. 210-340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. If you're out of the area, there's a toll-free number, and that is 877-630-5757. Again, 877-630-5757. The email address, if you want to submit questions that way, is questions at calvarysa.com. Again, you can use our church app to submit questions if you want to do it that way, and you can use the KSLR app. To call in directly to the radio. Okay, the next question is from is an anonymous question. If legalism is bad, then why are you so insistent on being at church services and functions all the time? Isn't that legalism? <laughs> okay, anonymous. Well, so the, the the premise of your question is is already wrong. Yes, legalism is bad uh, because legalism means that you are forcing people to adhere to a law instead of the spirit of the law. And this is why Jesus corrected the Pharisees. They were legalistic. Now, in our church culture, there's also legalism. There are people who say you have to do certain things. But here's where why I say anonymous you, your your premise is wrong is because being at church and 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 at church functions no one has to be here all the time and there's no one insisting that instead of viewing it that way a, a person who's born again that has the spirit of God living in them doesn't see church as a got to it's a get to and I don't like using. Christian cliches. But that's exactly the heart of a person that's truly grateful for their sins having been forgiven. It's not legalism. It's because you want to be here. You want to be with like-minded people, people that you knit hearts with, people that you serve alongside with. And if your view of church is more of like a church attendance— and checking off you know, on a checklist of things like going to church and, and having to serve and having to do communion, and then you don't understand the privilege you have of being in Christ because that's legalism. So we're not insistent on people being at church. Now, we want people to be here at church because this is the place where you hear from God through the teaching of his word. This is the place where you get to use your gifts, the gifts that God has given you when you became a Christian. And the purpose of those gifts is to edify the body. So instead of having the attitude anonymous of, I have to go to church. Remember, if you're a Christian, you get to go to church. And you go to church not to be served, but to serve. That's the heart of someone who is truly born again. There isn't legalism involved in, in church services. It's because we want people to hear from God. Now, here at Calvary Chapel, what we do is teach the Bible, that's it. If you have been here before, the people that come to church here, you know we, we, we don't let people, uh, we don't have guest speakers, we don't have people with political platforms uh, use the pulpit. Uh, we know that people uh, value their time. And so the time that they have, they give to the Lord. We want them to hear from God. And that only comes through the teaching of His Word. And when the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to reach the hearts of people that are listening, that's when the will of God is accomplished in their lives. That's when hearts become transformed. That's when people fall deeper in love with Jesus. That's when the Word of God uh, materializes. It's like the, the, the ink leaps off of the pages and grabs onto your heart fills your heart with gratitude, Anonymous, because God is speaking directly to you. That isn't legalism at all. So I hope that answers your question, Anonymous. Yes, legalism is bad, but we're not insistent on people being at church services. Instead, I want them to be here because they want to be here, and they should want to be here because they get to hear from God They don't have to hear from God. Thank you, Anonymous, for your question. Okay, the next question is from Kyle. Kyle says, Should Christians do yoga, practice in tarot card readings, or make vision boards, or do sound meditation? What does the Bible say about these things? Well, Kyle Now, one thing that the Bible is absolutely clear is that we're to test every spirit because not every spirit is from the Lord. And and what that means is that sometimes, when we hear, when we allow our minds to entertain things that are not from the Lord, we run the risk of being consumed by these things. And these things oftentimes are designed by the enemy to take our eyes off of Jesus. The Bible also is very clear uh, about dealing with or engaging with the spiritual realm, the demonic realm. Remember King Saul, God clearly told him not to call Samuel, not to engage, but he insisted anyways Through the witch of Endor, there he disobeyed God and invited uh, the enemy to mess with his life. Well, today, that still is true. Now, specific to your question here, Kyle, should Christians do yoga, participate in tarot card readings, or make vision boards? Christians should not do anything that gives the enemy opportunity to take his or her thoughts away from Jesus, You don't want to open the door to demonic activity in your life. And I'm not saying that that yoga is bad and yoga has some benefits and you can can stretch and you can do those things. But if there is a way to do it without involving any of the the pagan things or the, the, the things that belong to another religion, use it. For God's glory. I mean, this is the same thing with some of the martial arts, right? Kyle, a lot of the martial arts that have an Eastern Oriental origin are based on some type of pagan religion. But you can take the martial arts and and use it for God's glory. It doesn't mean you're worshiping another god. In fact, it's an opportunity, and you see many martial arts studios that use that for a ministry opportunity to reach people for Christ. But the personal practice of these things, this is between you and the Lord. You truly are a Christian, Kyle. The Spirit of God lives in you. And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John's first epistle and so you don't want to entertain. You don't want to leave a door open for the enemy. And, and all these things like tarot card readings, that's what they do, these vision boards. And I, I honestly don't even know exactly what that is, but sound meditation. And I think you're talking about like the, uh, uh, that Eastern chanting. Um, if that's what that is, again, this, these are all things that just open the door for the enemy to mess with you. What you need, what Christians should do is stick to the Word of God. Open your Bible and let the Lord speak to you. And as you do that, Kyle, there's a beautiful thing that happens. Your faith grows stronger. Your love for Jesus grows deeper. And then your discernment sharpens because it's the Holy Spirit through the Word of God telling you what to do and what not to do. For people who are young in their faith and and biblically illiterate and as new believers, they get involved with these kinds of things. There's all kinds of trouble that comes from it. So the answer is that you should stay away from these things, Kyle, but whatever you do, you do it unto the Lord. I hope that helps. Thanks for your question, Kyle. Okay, let's go on to... Make sure I don't have any calls. No calls. Okay. Our next question. Oh, it's another anonymous question. It is, uh, here, anonymous says, I don't know, oh, I'm sorry, I know you don't believe in infant baptism, but don't you think it's at least worth it to go ahead and baptize your child just in case you're wrong? What's so wrong about just baptizing them anyway? Anonymous, the reason why the Bible doesn't validate infant baptism is because baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. And what that means is this. People who are saved get baptized. You don't get baptized to be saved. And this is the problem with religion. Religion gives us this false hope that you can you know, dunk your baby or, or sprinkle water on your baby's head and that sort of guarantees their entrance. It's like a life insurance policy. No matter what they do for the rest of their lives, Because they were baptized, they're going to go to heaven. That's not true. And the Bible doesn't teach that, ever. There is one passage that people who are proponents of infant baptism cite, and that usually is in Acts chapter 2. But... This verse, verse 39, it, uh, it says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God would call. And then and, and prior to that is the famous you know, baptism verse that Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And somehow people think from this verse, from verse 39, that infant baptism is validated in the Bible, but it's not. It's not, not at all. What this verse is talking about is those who are far off, and this would be uh, the, the, the Jews in Diaspora, the, those who have been scattered, or the Gentiles, everyone. And when it includes children here, it doesn't mean infants. It means younger people who are still able, just like the Jews, just like the Gentiles, who are able to make a, their own free will decision. To repent, and then they'll be baptized. And by the way, this verse also doesn't support baptismal regeneration because, um, in in short, the word repent here is plural, and so is the word your in its meaning that the the repentance is for your forgiveness of sins. the The word for Being baptized is singular, which means it's not part of that command, even if it's in the imperative. Um, I know that's not what you ask, but Anonymous, that's another misunderstanding that often comes from this verse. But to answer your question, is it at least worth it to go ahead and baptize just in case you're wrong? Well, the Bible's not wrong, and infant baptism is simply something that religion teaches us. Is right, but what we do know is that baptism is always taught in the Bible as something that is done by believers, people who are already believe, uh, born again, and as a result of their faith in Christ, they obey Jesus and His command to get baptized. Again, this is an outward uh, expression of an inward reality. We're baptized publicly to declare to the world that we belong to Jesus now. And if we were to do that to an infant, an infant isn't somebody that can say that because somebody else is baptizing them instead of them making their own decision to do that. So Anonymous, I hope that helps. Thank you for your question. Okay, our next question This is from Brandon. It is Pride Month for the LGBT community. um, And they have taken the rainbow as their symbol. I feel like many don't know when the rainbow first appeared and what it stood for. But I don't know how to share that without also sounding intolerant. How firm should we be about homosexuality as sin? Is that a bigger sin than other, perhaps, secret sins? Okay, there's a lot here, Brandon. Uh, First of all, yes, uh, this is the month in that the, the LGBT community celebrates their sinful lifestyle. And to answer your question, the first question, how firm should we be about homosexuality as sin? All sin, according to the Bible, not according to me, but all sin outside of the marriage relationship is sin. All sex outside of sin. Sorry. All sex outside of marriage is sin. And that includes heterosexual sex and homosexual sex and any other deviant form of sexuality because... God has made it very clear. In fact, in his first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul writes in that fifth chapter, this is the will of God, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, the Bible does explicitly list homosexuality as sin, but it's not exclusive to that. It's all sexual immorality. We could look at 1 Corinthians 6. You can look at Galatians chapter 5. And people who live like this will not see the kingdom or or will not inherit the kingdom of God. The second question you have here is, is that a bigger sin than other, perhaps secret sin? And so, let me explain here. Now, in God's eyes, all sin, any sin, big or small, will keep you out of heaven. The reason why we quantify whether a sin is big or small is because of the consequences of that sin. And it is true. There are some sins that have greater consequence than others. But in terms of salvation, the only sin that keeps us out of heaven is not believing in Jesus, that he died for our sins. As a result of that, it's wide open. We fill our lives with all kinds of sin. So in that perspective, Brandon, there there is no bigger sin than the other. Homosexuality itself is not the taboo sin. It's the worst of all sins. But in our current culture, and you preface this because it's Pride Month and the LGBT community is celebrating this lifestyle, and our, our culture is drawing a line of demarcation, and you're either for us or against us. And if you are uh, someone who believes in the Bible, then you will be seen as someone who is discriminatory against them. But here's what I want you to know, Brandon. Uh, you know, when you mentioned about the rainbow. They have taken the rainbow as their symbol, yes. And you feel like many people don't know the origin. But here's the truth. They don't care about the origin. People don't care. And, and, and arguing about, you know, Genesis chapter 6 and, and the fact that, that, that the Bible shows that the rainbow is a symbol of God's grace and his mercy through Noah... Yes, we get that. But oftentimes, that's just fuel for arguments. And what I tell people is this, and we were just dealing with this recently because here in our city, like in many cities, there were organized pride marches. And because people here in our church wanted to go and witness to them, our our council is... You know, non-confrontational witnessing is the way Jesus wants us to witness. Now, definitely, you can go and 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 share the gospel and somebody get saved at a pride march, but that's usually not the case because you're walking into an environment, a hostile environment, where uh, nothing but debating and 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 confrontation is going to take place, and then Jesus isn't glorified in that. Should we share Jesus with people who are part of the LGBT community? Of course we should. But you do that on a one-on-one basis. You do that by talking to them. And, you know, somewhere where they're organized and and, and emotions are are charged, people are chanting and yelling, they're not going to listen to you. Non-confrontational witnessing without compromising the truth spoken directly in love is the way that God uses us to reach people and so yes you're right about the rainbow but that again that's 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 a secondary issue yes they're wrong and yes they're taking something but instead of being upset about that be upset about their them dying and going to hell because they refuse Jesus Christ. And you don't have to worry. You said in your question also I don't know how to share without sounding intolerant. Well, you don't have to share about the rainbow. You can use it as a conversation piece, but again, it's not as effective as talking about how much Jesus loves them. Because here's the truth. People we're all created to desire love. And this void in our hearts, this this love void is a Jesus-shaped void. And some fill it with deviant lifestyles, with sin. Some people fill it with things that are not blatantly sin, like family and career, material possessions, the rich young ruler, again. We're all created with that emptiness, and, and, and people that are in the gay community, same thing. And so our objective is not to debate with them about you know, why they're wrong, but to tell them how much Jesus loves them and let the Spirit of God work on their hearts. Now, if they're open to knowing the truth, then they'll ask you more about Jesus. Their hearts will be prepared. But it's not your place to go and set up a, a confrontational engagement because that is something that always ends up in, in, in nobody getting saved, people walking away angry, and Jesus isn't glorified there. So, Brandon, I, I hope that answers your question. On a side note, and I know Brandon, this isn't a, this isn't your question, but I think this needs to be said. Whenever you're talking to somebody from the gay community, it's so easy for us to be calloused and, and, and stern towards them, thinking that they have cooties or that they're broken. They're not. They're just like you and me. And, and looking somebody in the face and telling them they can't love the person that they fell in love with is heartbreaking. But this is what we need to do, is tell them the truth and love. A quick reminder that tonight there will be no Bible studies. We're taking a break in our Monday night studies. And we will return back here tomorrow, 4 o'clock, for the Word to Stand On For Life. Again, my name is Pastor Ken, and I'm filling in for Pastor Ron this week. God bless you.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the Word to Stand On For Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.